This week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Unscripted Television's The Voice. With a coach lineup that includes Adam Levine, Blake Shelton, Alicia Keys, Kelly Clarkson, Jennifer Hudson, and Miley Cyrus, it's no wonder Hollywood Life calls the hit NBC series our favorite reality show. And with faced with tough competition, Variety says The Voice reigns. The Voice, for your consideration in all categories. Screen full episodes at WBFYC.com. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we're going to be discussing the Emmy contenders for a biggie here, Best Comedy Series. Plus you'll hear Dominic's interview with Dakota Fanning from TNT's The Alienist and my interview with Mosaic's Sharon Stone from our annual Emmy Contenders event. But first of all, no joke. We're going to talk about the Best Comedy Series. Now, last year it was Veep. And other years, it's been Veep, and it's been Veep, Veep, Veep. In fact, it's almost been POTUS and Veep because, you know, Julia got up to her job for a little bit temporarily. But that's not going to happen this year. As well, it's not going to happen this year now is the obviously canceled Roseanne after the star went on a tweet storm of racist and anti-Semitic remarks that left ABC really no choice but to have to can the show. It's too bad, too, because I actually thought Roseanne had a shot at the Emmys. Maybe not for Roseanne herself, because she's obviously controversial and proved it again. But Controversial uh, being the incredibly polite way of saying kind of, <laughs> kind of vile, really. Yes, but and I have I, to say, ABC knew what they were getting into bed yeah, with here, and so they have to take some of this on their shoulders. And I think the whole Trump thing is untested in terms of voters in the Television Academy, how they're going to use their vote there. I, I thought she was doing a good job on this, but I, I feel bad for John Goodman, who was nominated almost every year uh, for the Emmys, and uh, a lot of the uh, cast. And Sarah Gilbert. I felt Sarah, Sarah Gilbert was terrific. Really, Really, you know, in many ways, um, they could reframe the show. Obviously, you can't bring Roseanne back because there's no Roseanne. Right. And you can't have a character die off again because they already did that once and brought him back with John Goodman. <laughs> yes. But, you know, you really could try something with Darlene, like maybe yeah. a one-season show yeah. where you kind of bring some of these issues to, to the fore in a, in a new and different way. But, I mean, right now, this is yeah. it, this, this is done like dinner, man. This and then again, like Roseanne was really designed for the Trump voter, as it were, that forgotten voter in middle America, as they say, that they this, this show is reaching, obviously— uh, that other shows haven't been able to reach on that kind of basis. Uh, I think it might be difficult to bring back the other characters without its driving force for that audience, which was Roseanne. Probably so, unless she ends up doing something with Alex Jones or something in the far end yeah. there. Now, other things in the comedy uh, best comedy series for the Emmys this year, of course, is the second season of Atlanta, which was called Atlanta Robin Season, which had to do with kind of the time of year this went by and many other things. And that's probably a very good contender, but I have to say the marvelous Miss Maisel from Amazon, which won the Golden Globe, it's a done deal. Uh, okay, so we don't have to continue done. this We're discussion. Done. Dominic has Shortest dropped out. Podcast ever. <laughs> ever. I, I think I will take that bet, but I do think the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is probably a front runner in its very first season here with the Emmys. Uh, and that's a, a neat feat to pull off. You know, uh, some have done it in the past. Modern Family certainly did it and, and stayed in there five years in a row. That's eligible again. But I don't think anybody is still talking about Modern Family as a breakthrough show. No, I, I think I think you know I you think know. what happens. 
you know, what's that famous expression? Tragedy is hard, comedy yeah. is harder. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, yes, Veep has done, HBO's Veep has done incredibly well over the years. And why? Because it's an incredibly good show. Yeah, well. But, and Julia's won everything as well, rightfully so. But, you know, comedy does, you can, if you lose the beat, if you lose the pace, if you lose yeah. being topical and the timing, right. you're just gone. People and I don't so, talk about it. I think so yeah. many of these shows. But, look at the other shows, I think, that, that are potential contenders. And it's really... Women who are really pruning out some of the most interesting, some of the funniest comedy out there. You've got Issa Rae again with Insecure. Yeah. You've got Frankie Shaw with Smilf, which is nominated for a Golden Globe. Right. And you've got Glow, which you know Mark Maron was in it, but it was you know Alison Brie and a whole giant cast of, of, of another throwback in a sense, like Roseanne, 1980s yeah. wrestling. But those shows are the one where it seems to be. I like, think like Glow, Glow, uh, Glow has the best shot of those three that you just mentioned, yeah. probably of getting in here. Um, you know, let's go back though to Roseanne and talk about the other reboots because reboots is the big thing in television right now. Will and Grace back. How how do you think Will and Grace will fare here? Because uh, it's certainly been nominated uh, when it was on the first time around. I think I think Will and Grace will get a nomination. I think it will. I mean, I think there's I think there's just legacy votes. I mean, yeah. I just do right. And I and I think both Eric and Deborah will definitely also see some love too. Yeah. I, they're they're not going to Jesse Owens anyone here. I mean, no. they're just not. Like, it's just, they're not going to surprise anyone. I just don't believe it. And um, One Day at a Time did not get nominated here last year. But, you know, I find people in the business really like that show. And they like what it's doing. It's a great doing. show. It's and it's done show. well year after year now. It's done great. It's done great for its first, uh, its yeah. first two seasons. It's Norman Lear. So, again, you've got Legacy Deluxe there. So, I think last year it got a little bit robbed. Um, and uh, this year could be a year where it, it's more recognized. Well, I would tell you, know. you, I'm now a non-voting member, but I would definitely, I would definitely consider that on my ballot. Well, I, I love a, that. I'm show. a voting member, and I'm, uh, you know, I think that's a show I would vote for. Yeah, too. I mean, I often yeah. wonder about that. That show's interesting, though, because you know, uh, with all the F FYC events around, I know Netflix has given it some attention, some spotlight, but it could do with so much more. Yeah, but they've had Norman everywhere, and you know, I interviewed him here, and um, you know, he is still beloved. Um, I, but I don't think, but see, that's where I think the strategy is wrong. I don't think it should be Norman. I think it should be like we had at the Contenders, where we had the showrunners and you had Justine in there. And I think the star, and I think, I think what's interesting about it, and then we talked about this at Contenders, is the first season was talking about, oh, Norman Lear brought a show back, yeah. and Rita Moreno's in this show, right? And this, 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 the second season was, oh, by the way, we have a really good show here. Have you yeah. seen it, right? Well, now in comedy series, the broadcast networks do better here than they do in pretty yeah. much any other category. Uh, in the find, Emmys. Do you find streaming, do you find comedy on streaming somehow like it just doesn't jive for you? Uh, some of it doesn't, you know, because you're watching boom, boom, boom. Although I have to say, and there's a show I'm definitely voting for that I could watch all at once, you know, just throw all the episodes out and I'll just, I can't stop. And that's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, okay. A, which is so a, funny. Your that is your funniest card will be show. coming in the mail later that on today. That is the funniest show on television. I just watched three of them on a plane coming back from uh, Cannes uh, this uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm month. is one of the greatest shows to ever be on uh, television. He's brilliant. It's so funny. But I think this past season just didn't land. You know, there was a big thing about Larry David's back. You yeah. know, we need him more than ever, blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed to kind of dissipate. Oh, my God. Came. The one where the old lady comes into the I house. Know, but that, but that's, <laughs> that's a classic Curve Your Enthusiasm. You've already set it up. It's oh, my God. The one with the old lady so comes So funny. But, but it didn't, you know, there All is right. something. I love you, you Larry. You talked about it earlier about, about reboots and revivals. Right? Yes. And they are everywhere. Right. Everywhere. Some, yeah. are, some become more adaptations, right. like, I guess, 
You know, Curb your it. negativity on this. I, no, I'm, I just, I just, I maybe, Come I'm, on, maybe man. I'm channeling my inner Larry. David, Larry has never I, won I, for this show. Well, and I'm gonna tell you with the with my inner Larry David, don't get your hopes up, buddy. Oh, okay. you, you know it ain't gonna happen. Oh. It just, it didn't work. It didn't. It's not All that right. it didn't work. People like Larry David. People yeah. like the show. It just didn't seem to have any blast radius. All right. So what about the other HBO show? Since we don't have Veep, uh, we've insecure. got Bear. I think Insecure. I think Insecure is a insecure perfect. Went nowhere last year, probably no. not again. Barry, what about Barry, Bill Hader? Uh, Barry, Barry, quite contrary, I don't know. Does I it mean, feel Does it feel like a comedy? No. That's the problem, no. right? It, it felt, that's, like, that's it what, felt well, like it should be Barry from Cincinnati. Yeah, well that that's the kind of thing that voters look for in this category, is it a comedy? They actually sit there and say, you know, is this funny? Um, Blackish certainly will be back. Definitely Blackish, of course. That's definitely going to be back. We know that. I Master know that of None is ineligible this year. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't seen its star. I mean, I think I think lately. FX's Better Things should be a good runner. But oh, I back to HBO. Silicon Valley always nominated. Yeah. No. Why? Why not? Because, because I'll, tell you, I, I'll tell you. because God, you're I, a tough audience. But like, I do think there's sometimes with comedy, the, the way comedy can kill you mm -hmm. is if you're out of step with the time. And I feel right. like Silicon Valley just kind of, it kind of lost some of its mojo somewhere. Right. Uh, I just feel like... Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? That's a, that's a show to me, I'm going to do my imitation of Dominic here. Really? That's a show... I just don't get. It's fine. It's totally fine, but I don't get all the Emmy love that it's gotten over the years. I don't get that. If you're going to do an impersonation of me, you have to use the word love at least three times uh, just <laughs> to get it right. Okay? All right. You know, I don't know. Do you love Unbreakable I, Kimmy I, Schmidt? I, no. What it is is I used to love Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And mm -hmm. then I watched the first season, which was fantastic. And I watched the second season, which I really liked. And right. then somehow... I had to make coffee that day, or something. You know, like <laughs> something else happened, and I, I just felt like, okay, this, this is, a, this has exhausted itself, and in the process, me. Yeah. And I think that often happens. I mean, uh, that's like, I mean, that happens with all shows at one point. I mean, television shows are like political careers; they always have to end badly. Yeah. Like, you either die, get canceled, get voted out, or you're just term limited out. But it's over. Speaking right? of dying, another show I don't. Yet yes. is the good place, which keeps getting renewed, and it's on NBC. And I think. Do you think love, that's building enough to get some Emmy attention? I, I don't know. I think. I think that Ted Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. I think that there is. I don't want to say a lot of love again because I say it far too often. But I think. <laughs> I, I think there is. I think there's a certain audience for that show that really, really do like it. Yeah, that's I, obviously. I feel. I feel underwhelmed by that show. And then cheated. And if you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. Where okay. they took it to a place where it's like that's not that's neither a good nor a bad place. Right. That's a dumb place. Oh, right. And and I just I just can't I just can't. I stopped watching it after the pilot. And you tell me I'm a negative audience, hard audience. <laughs> I mean, I'm did sorry. you actually make it through if the pilot? If you tell me this is the greatest television, give it another shot, I still won't watch it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, so love to know the power I of the I just critic. didn't buy into it. You know what? You either buy into the premise or you don't buy into the premise. And I love those actors. I really do. I think they're great. I love uh, Kristen Bell and, uh, you know, all of that. But it just didn't work for me. I totally get that. 
Yeah. I, I totally get that too. Yeah. All right. Uh, I hate it when we, we agree about something like that. Oh, oh God. So a, what's winning, man? Mar marvelous Mrs. Maisel is how we started this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is all Bezos. This this is the Bezos category. Jeff yeah. Bezos thinks he's going to make his streaming bones yeah. on, on a bringing back some sort of Lord of the Rings spinoff. Right. And he wants a show as big as, as Game of Thrones. And he wants to get rid of all these quirky shows. It's BS. He's going to make his bones off comedy. There you go. There you go. Amazon Prime. Coming at you. All right. With giggles. Well, I hope I get free shipping out of that. Though. You'll get free something. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Unscripted Television's The Voice. With a coach lineup that includes Adam Levine, Blake Shelton, Alicia Keys, Kelly Clarkson, Jennifer Hudson, and Miley Cyrus, it's no wonder Hollywood Life calls the hit NBC series our favorite reality show. And with faced with tough competition, Variety says The Voice reigns. The Voice for your consideration in all categories. Screen full episodes at WBFYC.com. I'm sure hundreds of you, dozens of you, millions of you, billions of you read The Alienist. It came out in 1996, and it looked like right away that this, this bestseller was destined for the big of the small screen. Well, it took a little while to get there, but it did this year. And I had the pleasure of sitting down and having a chat with one of its stars, Dakota Fanning. So I want to make sure one thing, are you still the youngest SAG nominee ever? Last I heard. That's incredible. <laughs> Last I heard, yes. It was, um, uh, I was seven, I think I was seven, yeah. So I think I am. It's funny because, you know, and sometimes when people, and you know, there are many people who have gone on to have great careers, but when you have such a high as a child actor, you know that the script, it kind of like sure. doesn't go. But you've just bounced and bounced and bounced. Twilight, the Runaways movie, which mm, I love. I'm a huge you. fan of the Runaways. Thank you. And now in TNT's The Alienist, yes. where you play, mm, I mean, many people have read the book, clearly, that was came out in 1996, but you play the first female employee, officially, of the New York Police Department, thanks to then Police Commissioner Theodore Roosevelt, mm -hmm. Sarah Howard, in what is a mystery wrapped in a whole bunch of scenarios. Totally. I wanted to get a sense from you. You know, The Alienist, when it came out in 1996, almost screened adaptation. Right. Big screen, small screen. It's right. a long time to get there. Yeah. What's been the reaction that you've gotten from people now that it's been on, uh, you know, debuted earlier this year and been doing yeah. great? Yeah. You know what? It has been so exciting to get to talk to people who are watching it kind of in real time and are have become such fans. The, the reaction from people that I know and people that I don't know has been really wonderful. And... I was really excited to um, be a part of a series for that reason. You know, sometimes you make movies nowadays and you they come out in one small theater in New York and one small theater in L.A. and you never know if anybody really sees it, you know, yeah, a lot of the time. Also, we also know that you're going to show up in Ocean's 8, too. Oh, that's, that's true. Not that's not going to be a different one thing. small no, theater. No, no, that won't. That won't. But sometimes, so, you know, being on a series where there's, like, a time and place that people mm. can find it and then where they can stream it and all of that, I was really excited to be able to connect with people like Monday nights or, you know, Tuesday mornings to hear what people thought about the show. And so that was a really fun thing for me um, to now, get to hear people's thoughts. You've done a lot of TV, but this is your first sustained series lead. You've popped up here and there and here and there and stuff. Right. How was that different for you from being in a movie? You know, the 
process of actually making it is the same. You know, when you're re actually the acting, the onset experience was the same. I think the, the biggest difference was we went into this experience, and when I say we, I say myself and Luke and Luke Evans and Daniel Brule. Your co-stars. My co-stars, yes. Um, we had only read the first three episodes, and that's kind of what we said yes to. And we jumped had you in. Read the, had you read the book? I had not read the book ah. at that time, you know, so I kind of jumped in knowing that I liked those episodes and I liked the the sort of vision that I could be told from the the director of those first three episodes, Jakob Verbruggen, and producers and all of that. And I, and I was excited to know what was going to happen, but that was really crazy. One day, it's like, oh, episode four and five, table read with a new director. I was like, oh, yeah, the story goes on. And, and, um, and we had a few directors uh, on this, and so that was a different experience and kind of filming... Um, a lot of episodes at the same time and having to jump back and forth even in one day sometimes that was a new experience but it kind of pushed me in a different way I had to be very adaptable and also really hyper focused to know exactly what came before and what was going to come after the scenes that we were doing what episode we were in where the characters were at because there's um, such an I mean in a way I would say I mean look a lot of things are shot out, out of sequence I mean it's just the nature totally. of, of timing schedules business and what have you but in a, in, a, in a series like The Alienist, the arc of Sarah Howard and how, especially in relation to her, her pardon, pardon the perhaps incorrect grammar, in relation to her relationship yes. with Daniel's character, who is the alienist, yes. so to speak, and Luke's character, who's much more sympathetic to Sarah at first and is still the one who brings her in, that's quite dramatic. I yes. mean, in, in many ways, The Alienist is the Sarah Howard story. As it, as it emerges, because <laughs> no, because of the role she plays and the yes. dynamics that happen between the trio yes, and the yes. realizations as it follows a murder mystery and, yeah. tries, to, and tries to deduce that. Totally. For you, how did that feel in terms of knowing where your character was going to go in terms of as a woman, as a as a I, I mean, I, probably these are over term, overused terms, but as a fe as a feminist role model and perhaps even iconic in many ways. Mm. Yeah, well, that was something that I initially talked about at the very beginning before coming on to the project is I wanted to make sure that um, Sarah Howard was going to be not just kind of the girl in the trio or the girl on the show you know I really I wanted to make sure that she was an equal partner to Luke and Daniel especially because we do form this triangle and I wanted to make sure that the character was going to evolve as fully as those male characters were going to evolve. Well, at this year's Contenders, I I was so excited to interview Sharon Stone, who I had not had that chance uh, before, despite her long career here. And uh, she's an Emmy winner, people don't realize that, for The Practice, an Oscar nominee uh, for Casino, and of course, a movie star uh, who's done very well on television. And I thought she was really touching and great in this uh, HBO, very experimental series because it involves uh, apps and uh, interactive uh, things if you want it or you can watch it as a linear show called Mosaic comes from Steven Soderbergh uh, it's a murder mystery but I thought she brought a lot of gravitas to it I thought it was a very fine performance so it was great to talk to Sharon about it think of Psycho think of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho he threw in a little uh MacGuffin there with Janet Lee's character right. you know you see the star you're the star and all of a sudden the star is... Dead. <laughs> um, it's a, it is. It's a wonderful murder mystery. Um, I get killed. And the story is about this why. And it all takes place in this very interesting 
world of art and in Park City, Utah, and it, it's very, very intriguing. And really, through much, much of it, it, you just have no idea who killed this woman or why. And she's a very um, complex and very, very real character. It's almost like you're watching a documentary. She is so good, and it's such a great role. You know, the roles for women, they say in Hollywood, you know, the men get the roles uh, as their career goes on. You've been working in this business 40 years, and this is a great, great role you've been handed here. It is a great role, and um, I feel very blessed because, you know, I took quite a bit of time out from my career, um, and to be coming back to this kind of really intriguing work, this work that really shows to me how someone actually could be, you know, a very layered, um, interesting, um, demonstrative, messy person. I just loved it. A character driven by truth and love and confusion and all of the things that we get into. I, I found it very, very wonderful, and wonderful to work with a director who encourages that kind of real textural performance. And lighting-wise, you've worked on a lot of movies. Uh -huh. He doesn't light a whole lot in his movies. It's natural. No. Of course, you're in the white I've worked snow. with the most extraordinary cinematographers, you know, Vilma Zygmunt and Laszlo Kovacs and, like, some of the real... You know, no, Stephen doesn't really light at all, and he shoots himself on a red. And I have to say, it was so liberating to go to work with somebody who doesn't light. I mean, he might unscrew an overhead light bulb, or <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> but I was always the first on set so that I could see where the light was coming from. I'm like, oh, I'll sit here. <laughs> <laughs> I think my character would sit where the window is shining in, the light. <laughs> That's it. You always know that when you hear a great star talking about making movies and things. They always know where that key light is. And I'm like, oh, I'll be here. Yeah. Um, right? <laughs> but sometimes in a scene, you don't want to be where the good light is if you're in, well, if you see it, when the character goes through quite a lot. And... That was another thing that was really marvelous, is it wasn't that kind of thing where you have to look marvelous when you're feeling shitty. And it, he really allowed me to have that full range of not only an emotional truth, but a visual truth, which was so refreshing. So with that, Miss Sharon Stone, thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Pete and I Bickering. And, of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. So thanks for joining us. We will talk to you and drive you crazy later.